Hello and welcome back to the Simply Christian Life. My name is Michael Burkle Hun, and in addition to being the host for your podcast, I am also uh, joyfully serving as the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande, that beautiful part of God's Church which includes the entire state of New Mexico and the far west part of Texas. It is Lent 2020 and we have been reading together the first letter of Peter, working through the commentary entitled The First Letter of Peter, a global commentary edited by Jennifer Strawbridge. And today we're going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 2. Before we dive into chapter 2, I want to just bring us back to the end of chapter 1 so we get the continuity here. You know, all through the Bible, the Bible is divided into chapters, which is very helpful in terms of helping us find the text so that we can study along together. But it's also a little confusing because when the author wrote this first letter of Peter, uh, the chapters weren't there, the verse numbers weren't there, and so the thing read like a letter, right? Now, some of the letters... Uh, just to be clear, some of the letters are written in the, they appear in the Bible as a contiguous text, but in fact, they were cut and pasted together a variety of letters. But many letters, like this one, seem to be kind of written in whole cloth, and so the chapter headings are sometimes a little bit arbitrary. So, back at the end of chapter 1, I'm looking at First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 22. The author writes, Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. That's how the first chapter of the first letter of Peter ended. And now we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 2. Just as a structure, as I've been trying to figure out what's the best way to present this podcast working through a book in the Bible like this, I'm going to try a new format today and we're going to see how this works. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entirety of 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning to end. And then I'm going to go back and work through the commentary a little bit, give you some of the themes of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll go back and do some highlights just of my reading of the, of the scripture and some things I think we might be thinking about. And so we'll try that as a format. We'll read the text, I'll give you some thoughts from the commentary, and then I'll go back and give you some of my own thoughts. And we'll see if that makes it more of a contiguous reading of the book, and if it also helps people pay attention. You know, I realize that when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm usually doing the ironing or washing the dishes or driving in my truck somewhere. And so uh, it's sometimes helpful to be able to listen to the podcast all the way through. Let's, Let's try and see how that works. This is the first letter of Peter, chapter two. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, 
and like living stones let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that, though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. That's the entirety of the first letter of Peter, chapter 2. And there are some troubling parts of that chapter, but let's, uh, let's start working through them. I think that there is a gospel message, uh, a, a, a message of good news hidden within that text. And if we can draw it out, it may provide just the kind of healing balm that we are all needing. So here then, let's work through the commentary of the first letter of Peter, a global commentary. There's a lot that's written in this commentary about 
1 Peter chapter 2. And one of the first things we need to note as we engage with 1 Peter chapter 2 is that this chapter is divided really into two sections. This is a chapter that is focused on ethics, ethics being the study of how one ought to behave, what we ought to do. And it's a chapter that's really divided into two parts. You'll remember that in the commentary, one of the big themes of the first letter of Peter is the theme of witness. And this chapter talking is talking really about Christian witness. What can we do when we are powerless to change our lot in order to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? So it says in uh, the commentary that witness, how to live, is the point of chapter 2. Hear this from the commentary on page 32. 1 Peter insists that believers should strive to live in such a way that the Gentiles among whom they reside may, quote, see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Peter recognizes this will not be easy. Sometimes living peaceably will involve enduring harsh treatment and bearing up under unjust discipline. Peter offers teachings at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 of how to be a Christian in three very specific situations in the world. How we are to live in relation to the state, how, we are to, how Christian slaves are to live in relation to masters, and how Christian wives and husbands are to live in relationship with one another. Through it all, 1 Peter promises that Christ's saving work and righteous example will provide the motivation and strength that believers need in order to persevere. So as we've been talking about all through this season of the podcast, we can't just read the Bible and say, oh, it's in the Bible, therefore I apply it exactly as it's written. Instead, we have to understand the context in which it was written, the people for whom it was written. Then we understand the good news that was being sent to those people. We pull that good news out and then we apply it to ourselves today. So how might we do that? So we're going to stick with the commentary here a little bit longer, but then we'll come back and we'll talk about how do we extrapolate, how do we pull out the gospel out of this text and apply it to our own lives. This chapter, the commentary reminds us, is really divided into two parts. The first part is some instruction about and some reminders that we as Christian people are growing into salvation. And then the second piece is about how we conduct ourselves in relation to our social setting. At the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to him, a living stone, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for so it stands in Scripture. The contrast that's being set up there is that we are to remember that Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate, who came into the world, Jesus Christ himself was rejected by this world and maligned and mistreated and abused. Jesus Christ suffered. God suffered. And so we ought not to judge 
the truth as God sees it in the way that the world sees it. So yes, this world has governors, this world has emperors, and in that time, this world has husbands. And each of those three things in that day and age were people who had power over others, who could abuse others at their will. Each of those categories was seen as empowered by the society in order that that person could use others for their benefit, right? If I'm a master and you're my slave, you work for me. You do what I say. Your labor is at my behest. There's a power dynamic there that is un, that is very clear and it's enforced by violence. In fact, even the nature of that relationship, I have power, you don't, that is a fundamentally violent relationship. And yet, we see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, this glimmer of the subversive nature of the gospel. The commentators on page 34 say it this way, This letter has been read and preached as teaching people simply to accept their lot in life and to submit to authority. But it is possible to read this chapter in a much more subversive and therefore constructive light. If we assume that, like slaves, aliens and exiles are not in a position to change their social situation, we can ask how they might cope and live in such circumstances. They might not be able to make material change in their situation, but do they have an option relating to how they see themselves and their humanity? Have they internalized their situation, perceiving themselves as lesser humans? Or, with the encouragement of one Peter, might they be able to claim their dignity as children of God, despite being powerless in other ways? The text of chapter 2, verse 16, exhorts them to live as free people, perhaps not externally free, but liberated in the way that they see themselves. And so here we start to see the subversive nature, not only of this letter, but of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it pertains to those of us who live in the world under the authority of others. Perhaps you remember uh, being a child, being on the playground or in grade school, and oftentimes in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, young people are trying to figure out what the pecking order of life is, you know? And, and I think young kids have it hard because everybody's always telling them what to do. Young children are told when to get up, they're told what to wear, they're told you have to do this, you have to eat that, no, you can't eat that. Young people's lives are really controlled by adults, whether they're in school or whether they're in home, really all the time. And a lot of young kids sort of push back against that. You may have heard in your household, or you may have said these words yourself when you were a kid, you're not the boss of me, that you're not the boss of me is an important push back against the authorities of this world that are trying to tell you what to do. And that's what I hear in this second chapter of the first Peter. The gospel of Jesus Christ is reminding Christian people that the president, the emperor, the master, if you're a slave, you're not the boss of me. Who am I as a human being? I am a child of God and I am to live free. You can maybe control my body, but you can't control my mind, as has often been said. And so my identity, my purpose, myself, my being cannot be controlled by another human being. Here in the second chapter of 1 Peter, 
we see that very clearly. In verse 13, it says, For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors, who sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right. And here's the thing. For chapter, verse 15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. Listen to that. It just said that, For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution. And then it says, For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. So think about the subversiveness of that message. It's saying, okay, the world has set up in such a way that other people are controlling you and telling you what to do. The world thinks other people are the boss of you. But by doing right, by living righteous lives, you will silence the ignorance of the foolish. Who are the foolish? Those rulers who think they are the boss of you. How do you silence a ruler who thinks they're the boss of you? By living a righteous life. Verse 16 says, As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. As servants of God, live as free people. It is not the will of God that people think they have, they're the boss over you. It's not the will of God that the unjust power structures exist. Rather, it is the will of God that we live as free people and that we do not use our freedom as a pretext for evil. Who is it that's using their freedom as a pretext for evil? The masters, the husbands who order their wives around, the governor, the emperor, who use violence to oppress others and control their labor through oppressing people. The book of First Peter is very clearly and subversively reminding the faithful that although the world might see you in one way, don't forget how God sees you. And let's act with the dignity and justice of how God sees us, for that is who we really are, rather than what the world is. So if we live in a world that is violent, if there is violent hierarchical power over and oppressive relationships in the world that we live, if we live into that, we are just acting as the foolish do. But instead, we are to live as free people and yet not use our power unjustly, not use our freedom as a pretext for evil. This text, my friends, is much more subversive than people might think at first glance. Going back to the commentary, this is at the bottom of page 35. Those who are slaves are told they are in fact free, free to choose to obey, internally sure of their dignity, resilient and resistant, because they know that the one who walks by their side through the suffering is Christ himself. This text emphasizes the power of our choice and the power of our identity in God. And the question really is, what game do we think we're playing? Some of us, and I'll, I'll speak for myself here, you know, I, I don't live in an oppressed part of the world. I have a lot of freedom. And yet, even in my own household, in my own life, there are times, many times in a given day, when I feel like 
somebody else is trying to be the boss of me. It's, it can be my calendar. It can be my email inbox. It can be my family or the tyranny of the laundry. There are lots of things in my life that are telling me they are the boss of me. And part of what I want to do sometimes is resist that, right? I want to push back against that. I want to get someone else to do the laundry. I don't have time to do laundry. I'm tired, you know, or that kind of a feeling. So even in, uh, even in a life where I'm not, a, I'm not a slave of somebody, but, but still I can feel like uh, a slave to my schedule, a slave to my duties and responsibilities. And if I get into living in such a way that I'm combating that sense of, I'm trying to make sure you're not the boss of me, right? Um, and I do that in a pushback sort of a way, that leads to a very different attitude in my heart than if instead I go inside myself and I take a deep breath and I say, God has made me a beloved child of God. In God, I have dignity and worth. They're not the boss of me. The calendar, the schedule, the inbox, they're not the boss of me. If instead of seeing these as to-do list items that are trying to get me to do something I don't want to do, if instead I start to see these as opportunities to express my love for others, the world and my household can start to change. Think about doing the laundry. Think about doing the dishes. Think about cleaning the floor. If I look at that as a task that I hate to do, that I wish someone else would do, then I don't like that, right? But if instead I look at it and say, you know what? My family, I want them, I want the best for my family. And so I want to help make sure that the dishes are done. I want to help with the laundry. I want to help with the floor mopping. I want to help with the housework out of a sense of love and service, not out of a sense of somebody's making me do something I don't want to do. And just that gear shift in my heart from resisting an outside power to God is the outside power who is giving me life and giving me love. Just that shift can make me change my attitude and it might, change, it might lift the burden off my heart. Instead of grudgingly going through, God, I got to do the chores, rah, 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 rah. Instead, I embrace that out of love and service for those in my household. Now, admittedly, look at what I'm doing here. I'm looking into the text of 1 Peter, which was written to a community that's very unlike me in my life, right? This text was written to Christian people who are being persecuted. They are slaves. They don't have control over their own bodies. Other people are the boss of them, telling them what to do. And they are so subjugated and oppressed that the possibility of resistance is even not possible. And so they are told, let us instead make this internal shift to say, because our worth is in Christ, we live free. We can choose. Will I live a, a, a begrudging day? Or will I instead choose to choose to take action? If I choose to obey and act honorably, that is about my dignity and my self-worth. 
It may also, secondarily, have the good impact of shaming the fools who think that I'm not worthy. But the real heart of this is, whose am I? And who am I? If you think you're the master of me, if you think you're the boss of me, I'm going to internally go inside my heart and I'm going to remember that I belong to Jesus Christ. I don't belong to any human being. Who is responsible for my life? Me. Why? Because God made me. And there comes the power of choice, sneaking in underneath the oppression and the oppressive parts of this world. So we understand that in the context of 1 and 2 Peter. And then I say, so how do those themes apply to my life? And that's where I make the shift and say, you know, from the outside, people might look at my life and think, this guy's got it made. Everything is pretty easy for that guy. But from inside my life, I got to tell you, there's a lot of times in my life where I don't feel like I have a whole lot of choices and where I'm getting through the day by accomplishing all the things that other people say I've got to do. It's the rare day when I wake up and I've got actually a day lying ahead of me or even a morning lying ahead of me where it's not other people's will that I'm trying to accomplish. And so all of us in some ways, all of us can tap into that place where we are not the boss, right? All of us have that place. And in a violent world, what we might want to do in terms of the ways of the world is overcome that violence with violence. I want to become the master so nobody can tell me what to do. I want to earn enough money so I can hire other people so I don't have to wash the floor. That becomes sort of the cycle, but that's the cycle of this world. That's the cycle of this world. And the book of 1 Peter reminds us don't you use your freedom unjustly for others. So how do we apply that in our own lives? That is what it means to read scripture. It means that we need to work on understanding the text and then work on applying it to our own lives. Now I realize a word of caution. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that if you have someone cook you dinner because you go out to eat, or if you have someone clean your house that you are somehow abusing those people, don't get me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're talking about the internal life shift that can happen when we shift from being upset and angry that other people are telling us what to do, that we have to do these chores around the house. If we can shift that into a place of loving service because we chose to, now I've got agency. Now I've got power. Now I make that choice. And that shift from feeling powerless and angry to feeling powerful and capable of choice, that's part of the shift that the gospel of Jesus Christ is calling us to. Because we remember our identity in Jesus Christ, nobody can ever tell us what to do. We always get to choose. We may not be able to choose all the consequences of our actions, but we can choose to act from a position of power instead of acting from a position of powerlessness. On page 36 of the commentary, we are reminded that in the beginning opening parts of chapter 2, we are given instructions about how we can become such a person. How do I become such a person where my identity is so deeply rooted in God that even when I'm being oppressed, even when I feel like I'm under the tyranny of other people telling me what to do, 
I have peace in my heart, a sense of power in my soul, and I am able to confidently make choices. Even given my limited options, I am a person in charge and making choices instead of someone who is responding uh, out of someone else's orders. How do I become that? Chapter 2 says, we got to taste the spiritual milk. What is that? That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. That's being a part of the community that is the church. It is within the church that we read the Bible together and can encourage one another to live lives following the example of Jesus Christ. And we all need that spiritual milk. Uh, We don't grow out of our need for that. You don't grow up in the faith to a place where you don't need the Bible anymore. Instead, we have all got to read the Bible on a daily basis. It is by reading the Bible, by saying our daily prayers, by practicing spiritual discipline, that we remind ourselves constantly of God's love for us. That we can start to look in the mirror and see a beloved child of God instead of someone who isn't measuring up to society's standards. And then, when we start to understand ourselves as people of worth, empowered by God to do God's work in the world, now we have that secondary choice of, so what do I do with my power? How do I exercise that power? And that is what we're going to be talking about later on in the podcast. How, in the midst of a violent world, can we follow the example of Jesus Christ and behave without violence, even in the midst of a violent world? We get some advice there in the early parts of chapter 2, as the author of 1 Peter is reminding us of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Christ was rejected by this world. He suffered under the authorities of this world. But the resurrection is a reminder and an example to all of us of what God really wants. Not just for me, not just for you, but for all of humanity. The way Jesus responded to others is the example that we are meant to follow. The way Jesus used power is the way we are invited to use power. Jesus did not amass power and use it over other people to dominate and control other people. Just think about what Jesus could have done. I mean, here's this guy who can walk on water. He can calm the storms of the sea. Crowds are coming to hear him speak. And and the crowds are pressing in on him so much that he often can't even get a break. He has all of the power of this world, right? And what does he choose to do with those powers? He chooses to kneel down on his knees and wash other people's feet. He chooses to go to those who don't have power in the society, the woman at the well, the lepers, those who are sick, the outcasts. He goes to those people and he reminds them that God loves them. He hangs out with the tax collectors and the people that other people hate in order to remind them of God's love for them. This Jesus, who could have used his power to subjugate and control, every single time uses his power to build up for good. The text of 1 Peter in the second chapter reminds us that when we act like that, just like Jesus, there's a twofold thing going on. 
on the one hand, Jesus repeatedly is building up the poor and the weak and the ostracized. On the other hand, he is seen more and more as a threat to those in power because their ways of using power are being undermined by the way Jesus is acting. And so that's what it means when it says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the head of the corner. Jesus is building the kingdom of God right there under the noses of the tyrants and the emperors. And because of that, because he is operating out of love, because he is operating out of respect and dignity for everybody, he becomes a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall because he does not observe the social niceties and he doesn't believe in the authoritarian power structures of his society and his world. And because he does not follow those rules that are meant to keep certain people down and raise other people up, because he doesn't follow those rules, he becomes a stumble to make them fall. And so Christian followers of Jesus, by reading the Holy Scriptures, by learning about Jesus Christ, by seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, and by being a part of a community, a church, that is resonating with that message of liberation and love which God is bringing to every human soul, by doing that, we too will become builders, standing on the foundation of the living stone that is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We will become living stones, and we will build up communities of faith that resemble and are part of the kingdom of God right now, today, in 2020, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as we do that, we've also got to be ready for the fact that we're going to cause some trouble thereby. The powers that be will be offended by some of the stuff we do. We are going to treat everybody with dignity. And by treating everybody with dignity we are going to show the foolishness of a world which thinks some people have more dignity than others. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. This brings to a close this episode of The Simply Christian Life. My prayer is that as you are, perhaps as I am, reducing your travels and your movement in order to keep your community safe from this COVID-19 coronavirus, as we as a community of people all across the world work together to wash our hands really well and to care for those in need and to stay healthy ourselves, let us not forget the ministry of Jesus Christ to which we are all called. And let us not forget that God created you. God loves you deeply and dearly. And because God is your master, there is no master on this earth that can tell you what to do. Because God is the boss of me, nobody else can be the boss of me. And thus I am empowered to live and to serve others from a place of love, not a place of obligation. May God bless you and let us keep the faith together. Mm-hmm.